I'm super happy. Are you happy? Welcome to the BU Find Happy Podcast. Here you'll find tips and tricks to inspire you on your way to happiness, to live a courageous life of authenticity, and learn how to speak your truth with grace. I'm Michaela Johnson, and welcome to our podcast. Good morning, Harley. Welcome to the BU Find Happy podcast. I'm really excited to kind of dive into some of the stuff that you've got going on. And there's and there's quite a bit, but to, you know, give the listeners a little bit of an idea, we're going to talk about um, past regrets and how we can move through them. And you've got like, wow, such amazing things, having served on the advisory board for Parents Magazine, being a pediatrician, um, just really incredible stuff going on. And then I, I'm hopeful that at some point we're going to be able to talk about the Miracles Project as well. So can you share with the listeners uh, who you are and how you got here? Sure. Thanks, Michaela, for, for having me on. I'm looking forward to to um, interacting with you and with your listeners. I have, um, for the past 40 years, I have been a an evidence-based clinician scientist at Children's Hospital Colorado and the University of Colorado School of Medicine. I'm an infectious diseases doctor, a virologist, and I have to say I feel a little guilty about this whole pandemic thing that I, after 40 years, wasn't able to prevent. But I, I have to live. Have to live with that regret. Um, I am um, a, a collector of miracles, <laughs> as a as a, um, a hobbyist, and that has turned into actually uh, pretty much an obsession for me. Um, as I've had um, some remarkable clinical experiences and had the opportunity to share some other remarkable clinical experiences with my colleagues. And all of that has led me to um, a philosophy of life that I hope will um, be helpful to others about how to move past our regrets um, of the past and how to prevent future regrets in our lives. You know, one of the things that I was really kind of interested in um, in researching some of the work that you do as well is the idea of germ-proofing our kids. <laughs> Do you think you could start a little with that just in light of kind of, uh, you know, the the crazy of the past year and a half um, as far as that goes? I mean, I remember reading an article when I was in undergraduate about um, these people that lived with 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 bovines that live with pigs and that their kids were some of the healthiest, least allergic children in the world because they were living kind of in this mud in the earth <laughs> and in the filth and they were building right. their natural immunities, you know? Right. So um, the book that you're referring to is one that I did a number of years ago called Germ Proof Your Kids. But the subtitle of the book is even more important. And that is protecting your family without overprotecting your family from severe infections. And um, we certainly, during this pandemic, have all become germaphobes, uh, whether we wanted to or not. And you're referring to um, kids who wallow <laughs> in mud and dirt. 
is a um, hypothesis that uh, became very popular a number of years ago called the hygiene hypothesis. And that um, philosophy says that uh, the dirtier kids are, the more exposed they are to germs and to the environment, the better their immune systems, the stronger their immune systems, the more resistant they will be to serious infections. Um, the truth lies somewhere a little bit short of that. Um, the truth is that uh, I've never met a child who is too clean uh, in, in all four decades of being a pediatrician. Over, overcleaning is not an issue for kids. Um, it can be an issue for parents who attempt to overclean their kids, to overprotect their kids, um, but it usually doesn't work. Uh, kids are pretty much exposed to their environments in school, and unless they're living in a, um, a bubble, <coughs> even uh, when kids are homeschooled and kids are on the playground, they are exposed to lots and lots of germs. So I, I've never been worried about an underexposure to germs. The idea of germ-proofing kids is uh, to use a rational, sensible way to protect kids from severe infections. And, um, and that's what the Germ Proof Your Kids book is about, how to protect kids without overprotecting them. I, and I think it's super important. I remember before I was a parent, you know, I would see kids with their filthy fingernails and their, you know, right, this and that. Right. And I would just be like, oh. And now it's like, oh, no, I get it. Like, I can't, I can't keep my kids' fingernails clean to save my life. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. <laughs> and that's I don't why... know that it's necessarily bad anyway. <laughs> no, it's not. And that's why we, we don't have to worry about the hygiene hypothesis. We don't have to worry about intentionally exposing our kids to, to pigs uh, in the trough. They, uh, it, kids expose themselves uh, sufficiently. So I don't need to get a pot belly pig in a mud in a mud pit. No, that's, that's right. you're, you're, <laughs> Dang, you're I really wanted there, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's such an interesting concept too. What you said earlier about you know I wish I could have done more. Uh, being that you're in virology, you know, in in Colorado, what is your take on everything and kind of the direction of things? We've got the Delta variant now. What well, where, where do you think we're headed with all of this? Well, um, first of all, we need a shout out to the, mir the miracle, and again, I, I collect miracles, um, the miracle of these vaccines. This has been, in my experience, and I've been, a, I've been a vaccinologist and a vaccine researcher for many, many years now, there has never, ever been a vaccine or a set of vaccines that has been developed this quickly and that has been this effective. So the first shout out is that we are where we are today, which is uh, a lot better than we were a year ago because of really the miracle of vaccines and of scientific research. Um, where are we now? I think we're um, on, the, on, the, um, on the road to full recovery. I think that uh, the more people who uh, either are naturally infected or become immune because of vaccines, the fewer places uh, there are for viruses to land and for viruses to cause trouble. Uh, and the Delta variant uh, is like other variants that were here before, appears to be more contagious, but thankfully is also protected. Um, we are protected from by the vaccines, which are effective against the Delta variant. And uh, the more we can 
um, spread the word and the safety and the reassurances about vaccines, the fewer targets the Delta variant will have and the fewer new variants that will evolve because in order for a variant to evolve, the pre-variant strain, the, the normal strain, has to cause infection, reproduce in people, and mutate. And the fewer people there are for the normal virus, if there is such a thing, to infect, uh, the less chance there is for new variants to develop. So I think we're headed in the right direction. I am very relieved. Unfortunately, much of the rest of the world has not benefited as much as the United States has, but I'm very grateful for the progress that we've made in this country. So one of the things that I, you know, had learned of through uh, watching a lot of Dr. Zach Bush's work is that, you know, coronaviruses have been around for thousands of years. Right. And he is of the belief that it's the, you know, gly glyphosate in our water systems and things like that, that are making our bodies uh, weakened as far as our immunity goes and ability to defend ourselves against these things that have actually been living in synergy with humans for thousands of years. What are your thoughts on that? Well, we've been living in synergy with all viruses for thousands of years. So the, the, the um, ability of our bodies to fight viruses is substantial. We are, we are really walking uh, defense systems. We have first responders within our body that um, helps to contain serious viral infections, prevent us from getting seriously sick. But it is also true that there have been pandemics and outbreaks throughout history, um, dating all the way back to bubonic plague and to the influenza pandemic of 1918 and to the five or six influenza, serious influenza pandemics that occurred after 1918, swine flu pandemic, H3N2 pandemic. So it is, it is a, this is not a novel phenomenon. There's nothing about our immediate environment or the uh, way we are currently living our lives that has changed our susceptibility to viruses. What happened is, I believe, a strain that no one had ever seen before uh, was released. And that was either released from an animal or it was released from a laboratory or it was released from a human in whom it had mutated. And I'm not, I'm not going to, to try and speculate about the origins of the current COVID pandemic, because that becomes a political discussion. And until we have the science to prove it one way or the other, I'm going to stay on the sidelines of that discussion. But wherever it came from, it came as the 1918 uh, uh, influenza pandemic came. It came as um, the uh, Ebola virus pandemics or epidemics occurred. It came as Zika virus came. These things just come. And they don't just come in developed countries. They come in Africa and they come, and they come in Asia. And, um, I don't really believe that we're doing anything to our immune systems to make us more susceptible. I don't believe the water is making us more susceptible. I think this is just the natural history of virus infections and of our, um, educable immune system. We, our immune system learns. So what do you think about the thought that maybe the earth is taking care of itself as far as um, keeping score goes, like knowing about, you know, that sometimes, you know, I can step back and look at this and say that we've been keeping 
you know, an elderly population alive for, for extended periods of time, much longer than they would have because of our healthcare advances. What if this is just Earth's way of saying there's too many people and I need to, I need to take care of it. Do you think sure. that's just outlandish or what do you think? No, I, you know, I, Michaela, I'll, the, the, um, worldview that people have about the pandemic or about events in general. Um, let's talk about the, the condominium that crashed in Miami recently. The worldview that people have uh, is uh, individual and personal, and I don't dispute anyone's worldview. But the, um, the, there's no question that during the pandemic, when we were all locked down and only walking outside and we weren't driving our cars, the earth benefited. Um, wildlife emerged in places where it hadn't been before. The air was cleaner than it had been in decades. We were, <coughs> pardon me, we were um, mentally, in many ways, more healthy during the peak of the pandemic when we were locked down than we have been in a long time. And so in that sense, I think the pandemic has taught us some important lessons about the future of Earth and the future of humanity that we need to learn from. But as far as the, the natural cleansing of the planet by uh, tragedy and by catastrophe, uh, you know, I leave that to listeners' uh, own personal judgments. I, I personally feel that our, our um, society is on an upward trajectory, that we, yeah. are, that we are over the centuries far better than we are, than we were in the past. And yeah. my, uh, my family, not me, but my family, um, my wife and my adult kids have been addicted to the Game of Thrones, uh, TV series. <laughs> I, yeah. I can't, I can't watch it. I, it's just, <laughs> it's too horrific for me. But, uh, historians tell us that medieval times were not that much different from what's being portrayed right. in the Game of Thrones. And if you compare right. that, that life, that earth, uh, the conditions of, of humanity then to our, the barbaricness. Yeah. Yeah. We are better. Uh, and so yeah. if earth is teaching us a lesson, I, I, I think, I think we're benefiting by it. Um, so let's switch gears and talk about regrets and miracles. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your work with the miracles project and what you've got going on there? Sure. Uh, 35 years ago, I was a, pediatric uh, resident at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, a trainee, and uh, a, a, a miraculous case changed the way I looked at medicine for my entire career. I was very early on in my career, and this was a remarkable story, a, a, a child who survived who never should have, a child who survived who none of us thought would, um, and in my mind, it was a miracle. It stuck with me for a long time, and I've asked people over the years, colleagues, have you had experiences like that that have changed the way you look at medicine? And some said yes, and some said no. So I wrote an essay um, five or six years ago now about that case from 35 years ago. 
and I sent it to some of the colleagues who said, yes, I've had, I've had some really cool experiences like that. And I asked them to write an essay and send them to me. And that's where my collection of miracles began and the miracles project began. I um, collated and edited those essays and um, that resulted in a book called Miracles We Have Seen. America's leading physicians share stories they can't forget. 85 really remarkable essays written by leading physicians. These are not holy roller doctors. These are deans and, and um, heads of departments of prestigious medical schools across the country wrote of stories that uh, changed their lives, that changed clinical stories, that changed the way they saw uh, medicine and the way they saw their careers. And um, we donated all the all the uh, author proceeds from that book to charities, which the essayists, which my colleagues suggested. Um, and it became a really a phenomenon. And the, the subsequent book, No Regrets Living, um, that just came out is really a follow-up in many ways of that because there were so many uh, themes that emerged in those essays trying to reconcile science and medicine on the one hand with faith and religion on the other hand. Those essays written by, these were not clergy, these were physicians who were writing the essays um, reflecting on their patients' experiences, the patients' families' experiences, and their own experiences, which um, really looked at a way to bridge uh, science and faith. And that's what the No Regrets Living book evolved from. So the Miracles Project led to the No Regrets Living Project. Um, and so... So talk to me a little bit about the idea of living with no regrets. How, how do people do that? How do they take these circumstances that have happened in their life and move through them in a way where they can, you know, find some peace with them or some happiness, perhaps? How, right. how can people do that? Well, that's kind of the essence of, of uh, uh, my thinking these days. And I have to I have to have a disclaimer first, and that is that um, no regrets is probably impossible, um, and, but fewer regrets makes for a less stimulating book title. So, no regrets, <laughs> no regrets living is um, uh, is the title because it, it is a better bell ringer. But um, we all have some regrets. Uh, the question is, how do we get past the ones? That we've had before and how do we reduce the number if not totally prevent uh, regrets in the future so starting with the easy part of that uh, that moving beyond the regrets of the past um, so the the book uh, lays out seven keys to uh, no regrets living and uh, the sixth key in that group uh, is to seek self-forgiveness and that's um, really the key to moving beyond our regrets of the past. And, and let me share a, a, a major regret that I have that I've learned to move beyond. I hope I've moved beyond. Um, I, I'm an infectious disease pediatrician, and for all of my career, I was at Children's Hospital. But as I was there, colleagues of mine um, chose to go to uh, underdeveloped parts of the world to really take care of 
of kids and families in need after natural disasters or in the midst of poverty. They built clinics, Doctors Without Borders. Uh, they built water systems. They cared for kids in the bush. Uh, they taught local providers, uh, caregivers, how to care for kids. I never had the courage to do it. I never went to Haiti. I never went to the Dominican Republic. I never went to Africa. Uh, colleagues of mine did. And I, um, and I always regretted that. I, I regretted not having the courage and the fortitude um, to leave the comfort zone that I was in. Now, um, so how, do I, how did I move past that? Uh, and, and the way I moved past that was to uh, remind myself of the context of those decisions. I was taking care of the sickest kids in the intensive care unit at Children's Hospital of Colorado for decades. These are kids with AIDS, kids with severe infections after bone marrow transplants, kids who have brain infections. These are the, I'm the kind of pediatrician no parent would ever want to need. Those were my patients. And, um, and yes, I could have taken four weeks off, absolutely, and gone to Haiti. I didn't, but I didn't, I also didn't lie on a beach for those four weeks. I was working hard. I also had young kids at home. It would have been very difficult to leave the kids with my wife alone. Um, and so when you contextualize the decisions that you make in the past, um, it allows you self-forgiveness. It allows you to move beyond those decisions that you... Now, if I had it to do all over again, I would have gone to Haiti. Is that is that justification? Is that self-forgiveness justifying your actions or am I mishearing that? No, I, you know, I think that justification is a harsher is a harsher way to describe it than than forgiveness is. Leave it to me. You know, I grew up with the buck up mom. (laughs) (laughs) No, right. Right. I've got a great I've got a great buck up. I've got a great buck up story for you, too. But 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 the the. uh, yes, I, I mean, in a sense, it's justifying, but it's it's uh, because it's in retrospect, because it's in the rearview mirror. It really is for me more a matter of forgiving myself and uh, preservation that, on some level. I think. Yeah, yeah, and, and not and not um, not trying to justify, but rather trying to uh, allow myself uh, to go on to make better decisions in the future. And it's like, I kind of say, you know, safe space for grace, because we are all doing the best we can in the moment that we have and the decisions that we're making, you know, it's never one thing. It's, it's a series. It's like lemony snickets, you know, it's a series of unfortunate events that led to the thing. That's exactly right. And, And I think for everyone listening, um, if you think about the woulda, coulda, shouldas of your life, um, what you wish would have happened, what you wish you would have done. And those are the things that stick in your mind. I mean, uh, the, the foremost thought in my mind is I should have gone to Haiti, but you got to dig deeper. You've got to, you've got to ask yourself, why didn't I? What was the, what were, what were the conditions at the time? And now that I understand that, I'm, a, I'm, I'm allowing myself to move past it. And, um, uh, and I, I, that's been a very helpful strategy for me. I like that. Allow yourself to move past it. 
Um, so, so with regards, um, to the miracle component, you know, you talk about on your website that that word is often used in, you know, a religious con context. Um, what is a miracle to you? What, how do you view a miracle? Yeah. Well, so that goes to the second part of your previous question. And that is how do we live with no regrets in the future? How do we minimize the regrets that we have in the future? And that's the other six keys besides the self-forgiveness key. The other six in the book uh, tell us how to do that. And one of the most important ones is to acknowledge um, that we don't have to be in a clinic. We don't have to be in a hospital. We don't have to go to medical school to see miracles. And I challenge your listeners um, to look outside their windows right now. And to ask themselves, as, as I do, what outside my window have, have humans created? Uh, did we create the tree? Did we create the, the rain? Did we create the birds? Um, we may have built our house, but who created the raw materials to do that? And so my definition of a miracle is something which we cannot, humans cannot recreate and we cannot explain. Now, you can explain a tree, but not really. We really can't explain how a tree evolved. We can't make a tree. I'll go even one step further as, as a virologist, and it's, this is heretical in the, the era of pandemics. But I think viruses are miracles. Um, again, my definition, I can't make one. No one ever has. And I don't understand it. No one really does. But a virus, even though I can't make one, when a virus infects a cell, it makes one million copies of itself within a matter of a few hours until the cell surrenders, explodes, and those million particles spread to neighboring cells. And that's why we feel so miserable when we have the flu or when we have COVID. But viruses are miraculous in the way I see the world and the way Albert Einstein saw the world. Albert Einstein said, and he, he's not, he was not religious, um, and I, I think he was not a person of faith either, uh, but he said there are only two ways to live your life. One is as though nothing is a miracle, and the other is as though everything is a miracle. And he and I Ooh, are... I like that. Yeah, he and I are in that second category. Um, I, I think everything outside my window and everything under my microscope uh, is miraculous because I can't make it. Um, so... One of the one of the things I'm really curious about is you you have this concept of 940 Saturdays and the idea is that as a parent you have only 940 Saturdays from the time your child is born until they're 18 and right. you know in this book apparently you kind of talk about some of the best or most profound or you know prolific ways to spend them what yeah. can you share what some of those are. Yeah, and it's so not profound and so not prolific. It's just so um, mundane and routine that um, it, it, that in and of itself, I think, is, is remarkable. We um, are busy people. All of us are busy people. We have busy lives. We have careers. We have families. We have responsibilities. And, um, and in between that, those of us who are blessed to be parents uh, have to figure out how to parent, have to figure out how to make meaningful time with our kids. And the concept of 
940 Saturdays and of a, a companion book called No Regrets Parenting that I did a few years ago. The concept there is that we have the opportunity to stop counting minutes and start recording moments because the, the few minutes that we have with our kids every day, and when you, when you total up the time that kids spend in school and the time that kids spend in carpool and the kids time kids spend in after school and enrichment activities and the time they spend sleeping, there isn't that, there aren't that many minutes left in a week. Um, for us to, to enjoy our kids, for us to impact our kids, if we count those as minutes. But so if we say, I need to spend, I, I need to take my kids out for quality time. We're going to go to an expensive performance. We're going to go to a, to an expensive restaurant and I'm going to sit with my kids, concentrate on them for two hours. And then I'm going to put them back in front of their, their video games or take them to grandma's house because I'm a busy person. That's one way of spending time with your kids. But the better way is to say, whenever I'm with my kids, whenever I'm with my kids, those are special moments to cherish. I need to listen to them. I need to channel their images to, to loved ones who aren't there with me. I need to concentrate so hard. I call it the parenting meditation. I need to concentrate so hard on my kids that my father who died without ever knowing his grandkids, without ever knowing my kids. I, if I channel so hard, I want my dad to be able to see the kids. And that's how, even if I'm only with the kids for 15 minutes on the way to school or for a half hour at dinner, that's how I maximize and optimize the time with my kids. Um, so the time doesn't go by so quickly. Yes, it's just 940 weeks, 940 Saturdays, but um, I can I can make more of each of those if I if I really, really um, meditate on my kids. I, I like that. And, you know, I had someone once tell me and I'm sure people have heard me say this on the podcast that they've listened to it long enough to, you know, get to get in your quality time in the morning before the day gets away, you know, um, do what's important, make that, make that memory. I was recently listening to a really, uh, incredible brain neuroscience of stress, et cetera. Um, with, uh, Dr. Kristen Willemier, I think she's done a lot of stuff on, um, you know, ADHD and children encephalitis, et cetera, from, you know, and uh, she was talking about just how important those early childhood synapses are and really sinking in those positive memories that, um, you know, and tools for how to be more mindful and things like that as well. Absolutely. There's a um, there's a, a new edition of the No Regrets Parenting book coming out in September. And in that and not in the first edition that was about 10 years ago, there's a letter uh, and I've gotten since the first edition of No Regrets Parenting and 940 Saturdays, I've gotten close to 2,000 letters, emails. But my favorite letter is reprinted in that book, and it's it's about a mom who has a three-month-old, three-month-old, first child, and um, is busy. She's she's busy, and her habit was to put the the baby in the bouncy chair. And to go about her day, and when she heard the baby squeal or cry, she would run and pick the baby up. And that's how she managed her three-month-old until she read about 
940 Saturdays and No Regrets Parenting. And she writes that in this letter that now she puts the bouncy seat in the kitchen. And when she's washing dishes, she talks to the baby while three-month-old. She talks to the baby while she's doing her dishes. When she's putting food away, groceries away in the refrigerator, she'll show the baby the food. And she'll actually put the baby's hands around the food so the baby has a tactile sense of what mom is doing. And the baby has rapt attention. The baby never wavers from watching mom. Three months old. It's never too early to start, and it's never too late to start. Yeah, I... um. When when my son was little and I would take him to the grocery store as I was going through the produce department, you know, I would pick it up and he's sitting in the little thing right in front of me. I say red apple. You know? Absolutely. <laughs> Yellow banana. Good for you. <laughs> and, Good uh, for you. And yeah, it was it was cool. I think it gave him a lot of um, that tactile experience combined with the you yeah, know more cognitive communication component. And it's the synapses, um, Michaela. Those are the synapses you were talking about. You were making synapses for your baby in the grocery store, as is this mom who wrote the letter that's in the book. <laughs> Um, so awesome. Hey, how can the listeners get a hold of some of these books and, and learn more about the projects? If- uh, well, thank you. Uh, so, uh, the, the book, uh, no regrets living. If you just, uh, type in no regrets living, uh, that will pop up. And, uh, my first name is easier to remember than my last name. It's Harley, um, like the motorcycle. And the miracles book is miracles we have seen. And again, Harley will take you there. And if you, if your listeners are really ambitious, my website is harleyrothbart.com. That's H-A-R-L-E-Y-R-O-T-B-A-R-T.com. And all the books are there. And, uh, thank you for asking. I, I, I hope they, uh, I hope they make an impact on people. You know, um, thank you so much for coming on today. And as always, we include this information in the show notes. So thanks again, Harley, for sharing some of your awesome insights on how to have some no regrets living. Thank you, Michaela. It was a pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. This has been a BU Find Happy podcast. For more inspiration, check out the links.